1 Samuel 24, um, verse 1 to 22. When Saul returned from following the Philistines, he was told, Behold, David is in the wilderness of Engadai. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the wild goat's rocks. And he came to the ship, sheepfolds by the way where there was a cave, and Saul went in to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. And the men of David said to him, Here is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it is, as it shall seem good to you. Then David arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robes, and afterward David's heart struck him, because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robes. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord. The Lord's anointed to put out my hand against him, seeking his he is Lord's, the Lord's anointed. So David persisted his men with these words, persuaded these men, his word, men with these words, and did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. Afterward, David also arose and went out of the cave and called after Saul, my Lord the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed with his face to the earth and paid homage. And David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men who say, Behold, David seeks your harm. Behold this day, your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you today into my hand in the cave, and some told me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not put out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. See my father, see the corner of your robe in my hand. For by the fact that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not and do you and did not kill you, you may know that and see that there is no wrong or treason in my hands. I have not sinned against you, though you hunt my life to take it. May the Lord judge between me and you, may the Lord avenge me against you, but my hand shall not be against you. As the proverb of the ancient says, Out of the wicked comes wickedness, but my hand shall not be against you. After whom has the king of Israel come out? After who do you pursue? After a dead dog? After a flea? May the Lord therefore be judge and give you sentence between me and you, and see to it and plead my cause and deliver me from your hand. As soon as David had finished speaking these words to Saul, Saul said, Is this your voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. He said to David, You are more righteous than I, for you have repaid me good, whereas I have repaid you evil. And you have declared this day how you have dealt with me, in that you did not kill me when the Lord put me into your hands. For if a man finds his enemy, will let him go away safe. So may the Lord reward you with good 
for what you have done to me this day. And now, behold, I know that you shall surely be king, and that the kingdom of Israel shall establish in your hand. Swear to me, therefore, by the Lord, that you will not cut off my offspring after me, and that you will not destroy my name out of my father's house. And David swore this to Saul, and Saul went home. But David and his men went up to the stronghold. Thanks, Alistair. Let's pray together. Our Father God, we ask that you would speak to us from your word, that we would see and understand more of your marvellous ways, that we would indeed love you and trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. In her book, Confronting Christianity, Rebecca McLaughlin writes a chapter on suffering. And she writes about an experience she had with deep emotional and psychological pain. She writes, I had thought God was healing me, inviting me to not believe my fears. But now all the fears about myself that had hung around the periphery of my vision were coming true, and I was devastated. This was not earth-shattering grief. No one had died, but it was shattering to me. My husband witnessed more of my tears in the space of a month than in the previous 10 years. One night he tried to comfort me by reading from Psalm 121. I will lift my eyes to the hills. From whence does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. But I just cried more. I feel like I'm crying to the Lord, I explained, and he's not helping me. I wonder if you've experienced anything like that. Suffering is hard. Yet, suffering in one way or another, we will. Things don't go the way we want. We're not in control of our futures, no matter how much we think we are. And we tend to muck things up. And we can be hurt by others. And as we read in the Bible, as we follow the Lord Jesus, we will experience suffering in one way or another. How are we to suffer when suffering comes? In 1 Samuel chapters 18 to 26, David The king chosen by God is a wanted man, as in Saul wants to kill him. David suffers hardship, danger, risk of death, danger of betrayal, uncertainty about how things are going to turn out. So we can learn some things from David. And stepping back a bit, God has a plan to restore the world and bring blessing to rebels like us. In 1 Samuel, he is working out his plan through his people Israel. He will raise up a king, an anointed one, a Messiah, a Christ, who will lead and save his people from their enemies. And initially this was King Saul. But he was rejected by God and a new king anointed, as we've seen in chapter 16. That is David. 
the Spirit of God was on him. So David led Israel into battle, bringing salvation from their enemy Goliath and the Philistines in chapter 17. And we see that Saul is no longer the one leading the people to bring them to peace and security under God. So as we look at David, who is God's Christ, or king, we will see how he points us to the Christ, also born in Bethlehem, Jesus, God's own son. David is a forerunner to the one who brings salvation to the ends of the earth. Salvation from sin and death so we can be God's own people. Now, we're covering a lot of chapters today. Um, Now, it's not going to take a huge amount of time, I hope. No. (laughs) So, we really got to look at it in fairly summary form. So, we're looking at four aspects of David in these chapters. The king loved, the king opposed, the righteous king who suffered and God's king who will reign. So firstly, the king loved. In the aftermath of the great victory that God gave David over Goliath, David is indeed greatly loved and admired. So reading chapter 18, verses uh, 1 to 5, we read there, As soon as he, that is David, had finished speaking to Saul, The soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David, and his armour, and even his sword and his bow and belt. What's going on? Jonathan, by rights the heir to the throne of his father Saul, is giving deference to David. The act of giving him his armour and his robe is saying, you, David, deserve to be king, not me. There's no hint of jealousy with, with Jonathan. He loves David and he commits himself to David in a binding relationship or a covenant. And then reading on in verse 6, And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him, so that Saul set him over men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. As they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, the women came out of the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy and with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. David is given success. He is fated as the conquering leader of the armies of Israel. The people, even Saul's servants, are glad that David is over the men of war. As we read on in verse 16 of chapter 18, we read that all Judah and Israel loved David. And in verse 20, Saul's daughter, Michal, loves David. And in a way, it's easy to love a returning hero, isn't it? Uh, Perhaps not right now. We even love the Australian cricket team after they defeated the Indians last week. Yet, as the implications of David's leadership became clear, some will turn against him, particularly Saul. 
And so too with Jesus. He was loved by many as he went around destroying the works of the devil, healing, raising the dead, driving out demons, teaching. Yet as his ministry progressed, he was increasingly hated and rejected by some. David is God's king, not ruling yet, and he too is opposed, chiefly by Saul, and he was a powerful enemy. So we read in chapter 18, verse 8, after that, um, that song which uh, talked about Saul striking down thousands and David ten thousands, verse 8, 18, 8, Saul was very angry. What more can he have but the kingdom, he thought. And Saul eyed David from that day on. He was watching David, not trusting him. As he saw David's success, he became even more fearful. So Saul devised a plan. He would offer his daughter Merab to David as long as he fought the Lord's battles. We read, uh, Saul said, Let not my hand be against him, but let the hand of the Philistines be against him, in verse 17. That is, I won't kill David. The Philistines can do that for me. But the plan backfired when David didn't jump at the offer of his daughter Merab. He saw himself and his family as not of sufficient status to be married into the royal family. Yet as we read on in um, chapter, uh, chapter 18, Michal, Saul's youngest daughter, loves David, and Saul tries again. He demands a hundred dead Philistines as the bride price. David is persuaded and delivers 200 dead Philistines, or at least he delivers their foreskins, to Saul. Now, this might seem rather shocking to us, so much fighting and killing, but it is helpful to remember that this is not random killing, but it is killing in battle those who are attacking Israel, those who are threatening Israel's peace and security, indeed those threatening God's plans to bless the whole world through his people. So by the end of chapter 18, Saul's plan to have David killed indirectly has failed. And David has more success than all the servants of Saul. So Saul's efforts ramp up. Jonathan advocates for David at the beginning of chapter 19, yet as David continues to have success, Saul's efforts to kill David resume. He tries to pin David to the wall with a spear, and his efforts to capture him are thwarted by Michal, his daughter, siding with David and aiding his escape from his own house. David is forced on the run to flee. And he goes to Samuel. In chapter 19, verses 18 to 24, this, this amusing scene where Saul sends his messengers to take David and they are overcome by the Spirit and prophesy. And this happens three times. Three sets of messengers are sent and they all turn into prophets. And Saul, perhaps in frustration, ends up going himself. You know, can't trust anyone to do a job, do it yourself. And he's overcome by the Spirit and prophesies. And so in verse 24, we see the mighty King Saul portrayed as lying naked, prophesying before Samuel. God has protected David by turning Saul into an unlikely prophet. 
In chapter 20, Saul's anger and intention to destroy David is confirmed by Jonathan and he warns David. And now David is truly on the run. He's forced into the wilderness areas in the south of Judah and even at times into the territory of the Philistines and Moab, the enemies of Israel. He becomes uncertain of who is friend and who is foe. So we see when he meets Elimelech in chapter 21, Elimelech the priest, he's suspicious and he, he doesn't disclose all that's going on. And indeed he was, he was right to be a bit suspicious, particularly with Doeg the Edomite who was there, one of the servants of Saul. Doeg later told Saul that David had sought help from Elimelech and Doeg happily slaughtered Elimelech and 84 other priests at Saul's command in chapter 22. Here is Saul actually destroying the very priests of God out of frustration at not being able to destroy David. And so as we read on, even when David um, delivers the city of Keilah from the Philistines in chapter 23, he learns that they will hand him over to Saul given the opportunity. Similarly, the Ziphites in chapter 26 are happy to help Saul out by telling him where David is hiding. David is God's anointed, but he ends up on the run, uncertain where safety lies. We know something of what David was thinking because he wrote Psalms during this time. For example, Psalm 54, written when the Ziphites ratted out to Saul. And we read in verses 1 and 2, David writes, O God, save me by your name and vindicate me by your might. O God, hear my prayer, give ear to the words of my mouth, for strangers have risen against me. Ruthless men seek my life and do not set God before themselves. On the run, suffering as an outcast, and yet David is also portrayed as righteous in his dealings with Saul. David's frequent question to Jonathan and Saul when he had the opportunity was, what have I done? So in chapter 19, verses 4 and 5, Jonathan, speaking on behalf of David to Saul, says, let not the king sin against his servant David because he has not sinned against you and because his deeds have been good to you. Or David questioning Jonathan in chapter 20, verse 1, after he's fled from Saul again. What have I done? What is my guilt? And what is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? And as David is on the run, we've uh, read one encounter and we had the other encounter in the children's talk in chapters 24 and 25, where, where David had the opportunity to kill Saul and yet didn't. In chapter 24, which uh, Alistair read for us, Saul's having a toilet break in a cave, thinks he's alone. Um, But David and his men are actually further back in the cave. He wasn't alone at all. And as we read, David cut off the corner of Saul's robe and he was even concerned that he'd done that. He says in verse 6, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. He had his men urging him to kill Saul. And he said, no, I will not harm Saul. And Saul leaves the cave unaware. David calls out to him, explaining that he could have killed him. 
and that there is no wrong or treason in his hands. He says, I have not sinned against you, though you hunt my life to take it. David entrusts himself to the Lord's judgment. And we read Saul's response. He weeps. In verse 17, he said, You are more righteous than I, for you have repaid me good, whereas I repaid you evil. And verse 20, And now, behold, I know that you will surely be king, and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established at your hand. David, in regard to his treatment of Saul, is righteous. Yet he suffers, he's hunted, and he's driven away from the presence of the Lord, in that he is remote from the tabernacle, the place of God's presence with his people. The Lord's Christ suffers. And as we look forward, we might recall the words of Jesus to a couple of his followers in Luke chapter 23, verses 25 and 26, after his death and rising to life. Jesus said to them, O foolish ones, and slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? David, the anointed, the Christ, suffered righteously, pointing to the perfectly righteous Son of God, Jesus, who suffered the pain of rejection and death. Not because he deserved it, But in the wonderful plan of God, it was necessary that he suffer for us to take our sin upon himself that we might live. So David's suffering was a pattern that pointed to Jesus the Christ. And it's also a pattern for us as we trust in Christ. Will we not also, so the New Testament writers, won't we suffer as we follow the example of Christ, won't we also be opposed, treated unjustly? How are we going to keep going when that happens? David, although suffering, was reassured that he, as God's king, would reign. He had God's clear indication of this in his anointing in chapter 16. And we see it in the way that God delivers David time and time again from Saul. Already we've seen his escape from the house with assistance from Michal and the spirit falling on his enemies, turning them into prophets. David's protected by the word of God. In chapter 22, verse 5, he receives direct word from the prophet Gad that he's returned to Judah. And in chapter 23, David receives direct guidance from the Lord that the killer heights will deliver David into Saul's hands and so he's able to escape. And in chapter 4 there's the interesting story of um, Nabal and Abigail and it's through the wise counsel of Abigail um, when her foolish husband Nabal spurned David that um, David's mind is changed. So David, when he heard that Nabal rejected his um, request for help, was ready to um, kill Nabal and all his men. He was bent on personal vengeance and was only stopped by Abigail's quick thinking. And she affirms that David will be king and urges him not to do something he will regret, not to work salvation for himself. 
David is urged to keep trusting God, trusting his salvation and promises, knowing that God would do what he said. Throughout the narrative, we are assured that David will be king and even Saul comes to realise this. God's king will reign. The attempts of the increasingly erratic and despotic Saul will not prevail. So returning to Psalm 54, verses 4 and 5, David says, Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the upholder of my life. He will return evil, the evil of my enemies in your faithfulness, put an end to all of them. The Lord's Christ will reign, for he has been appointed by God. And so too, Jesus, God's Christ, triumphed over death. He reigns. Paul says in Philippians 2, 9 and 10, Christ Jesus, God has highly exalted and bestowed on him a name above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. How do we keep going in the difficulties of life? Do we see God as our helper? Or do we question whether God is still at work? How do we keep going? David points us to Jesus, who has gone before us, suffered and died, so that we might live. He is king now, and one day all will bow before him. For those who trust in Jesus, God is working his plan out in us. His plan to make us more like Jesus. Sometimes that will be painful. Yet there is the joy of knowing the Lord, which David so often writes about. We can take comfort from the words of David, the Psalms, as they point us to Jesus, to his suffering and his reign. So let's learn from David and those around him. Love the Lord's Christ, Jesus, the one who saves, the King. Don't oppose him. Don't be like Saul who resisted God's king even when he knew it was foolish and doomed to fail. Now we don't know how long any particular suffering we experience will last. David didn't know. But we know it will be sorted out in the end. So we're urged to persevere, to trust, to love the Lord's Christ. And you know, David didn't do that alone. And so we can also help each other even as David received help from those who loved him. We can care for each other. We can pray for each other. We can speak wise words to each other, even as Abigail spoke wise words to David. We can encourage each other and listen to each other. We can forgive each other and seek what is truly best so that we can help each other in our struggles whatever they may be. Encourage each other as we keep obeying and trusting Jesus. Returning to Rebecca McLaughlin at the end of her chapter on suffering, she writes, Sometimes I win the battle. Sometimes I lose. At times I feel Christ's presence flooding my meagre heart. At other times I cling on for dear life, not knowing the end of the story. But I must take my life on this claim that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. 
Let's pray. Our God, we thank you for the example of David in his suffering, that he points us to our Lord Jesus. And we thank you for him, that he suffered and died for us, and that he also gives us an example of suffering for what is good and persevering, seeing um, the end result, the future will be with you. So help us, we pray, to persevere when things are hard, when things are difficult. Help us to encourage and help one another, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.